All right, so that's next week. Today, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, that is typically what we say if you're new. Uh, on Easter Sunday, we declare he is risen, and then the response, he is risen indeed. In other words, we believe it to be a fact. It's not the cherry on top in our faith. The resurrection is the core to the faith. In fact, the scripture logic goes like this. If Jesus was not raised, he's a liar. And if he's a liar, then what? He's not sinless. And if he's not sinless, then he could not pay the penalty for my sin. You follow the logic. This is why it's not the cherry on top, it's the core. Because if he could not pay the penalty for our sin, then I'm still guilty before God. I'll still incur his wrath. Our faith is useless, and we are fools to be pitied. So there is good reason we gather on this day to celebrate not the cherry on top, but the core that Jesus has risen from the dead. The question that I want us to consider this morning is simply this. Are we fools or are we naive to believe in something we didn't see? Are we fools for doing that? Do you believe in anything you can't see? It's the question that I want us to consider from the text this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, turn with me to the Gospel of John and chapter 20. And go there in your mobile phone if you'd like. John chapter 20, where the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples. It says this in verse 19 and 20. So when it was evening on that day, that is this day, the first day of the week, the day he was raised, that evening, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, in other words, they're afraid that they're going to have happened to them what happened to Jesus, so they're hiding Jesus, with the doors closed, comes in, stands in their midst, and says to them, peace be with you. Now again, it's hard for us to imagine, but try to, you were at a funeral Friday, and that person shows up in your living room this evening. Peace be with you. Make sense a little bit now? Like, whoa, what's happening? I'm not feeling peace. This is a little spooky. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. What's he showing them? He's showing them the marks of the nails. He's showing them this is really who you think it is, but really can't believe that it is. But you can believe because you are you're seeing, you're seeing me, you're seeing the scars. And so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So they saw and they believed. But our question is, what if you didn't see? Because uh, that's what happens. Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Bummer. Can you imagine hearing and 
for whatever reason, you didn't, you weren't there, you would forever have what? FOMO, right? You're like, from that point, be like, oh, I'm fear of missing out. You go to everything because I didn't go that time and everybody else saw him, but I didn't see him. But those who saw him, verse 25, they're saying to Thomas, who didn't see him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side. He wants to do more than see. He wants to like touch it. Feel it go. Is it real? I don't want my eyes playing a joke on me. I I want to see it. I want to touch it. And unless I can see it and touch it, I won't believe. I won't be a fool. I won't be naive to believe something I can't see. And from that, what's he get nicknamed? Do you know this? Yeah. He gets nicknamed Doubting Thomas. Fair? Actually, I don't think so. Hopefully, one of the things you'll take away from this morning is, I don't know that I should actually call him Doubting Thomas. And here's why. Luke 24 tells us that the women were the first ones to the tomb on Sunday morning. And who met them there but angels And the angel said to those women, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. So given that information, you know what the text says they do? It says that they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. So they're saying, he's not there, he is risen. They hear it. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. In other words, actually, they weren't any different than Thomas. The, the other were like, well, we didn't see him. We heard that you, what you said, but we don't believe. In fact, you know what Peter does next? But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Why? Because he wants to see for himself. He runs to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. So when he saw, he, he believed. So why don't we call him Doubting Peter? See, I, I actually, I don't think Thomas really should be called Doubting Thomas. I think we should call him something else. Ted. Why would we call him Ted? Not Tom. Why would we call a Thomas Ted? Because actually, all Thomas wanted was what the other guys wanted. Thomas was Ted. He was the evidence demander. Is that unacceptable? How many of you would want evidence before you believe something? 
The rest of you don't believe in raising your hands in church, or you're just like, no, I just believe whatever you tell me. If it's on the internet, hey, it's true. Come on, the rest of you, you're a bunch of Ted's. We're all a bunch of Ted's. But when we hear something, we go, ah, I'd like some evidence. It's not unfair. In fact, I think it's legitimate to go, before I believe something that bold, that brash, that someone whose funeral I was at on Friday is alive on Sunday, I'd like to see it for myself. That's all Thomas wants. Evidence. He's a Ted, just like, really, most of us. So what's Jesus do for Ted's? You see it there? Verse 26, 27 in our passage. What's Jesus do for Ted's? After eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas is with them. No more missing out. You guys are together. I'm there. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and tossed in their midst and said, and tossed, stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. For the other ones, this is like, been there, done that, we've seen this. For the first, for Thomas. Whoa! And Jesus speaks directly to him. I love this. And he says, you little doubter. No, that's not what he says. He says, hey, I, I, hear, I hear you want to like, not only see it, but touch it. Here you go. If you're Thomas, you're like, uh, I, 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 I'd be like, okay, good enough. I don't need to see that. What's he do for Ted's? He shows him, gives him. Reach here with your finger. See my hands? Reach here, your hand. Put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. Believe why? Because there's evidence that it's really true. What's Jesus do for Ted's? He gives evidence. I want you to see that. We, it's not that, that as followers of Jesus, we don't have evidence or that we're reluctant to give evidence. We're not reluctant at all. He gives evidence and he does so, I love this, he does so voluntarily. He doesn't walk in with his hands behind the back, look at Thomas, so what is it that you really want? He doesn't make Thomas ask. He doesn't make him run around, pull his arm out, come on. He sees Thomas. He knows he's a Ted, and he simply, which all of them were Ted's. And he goes, here, I, here's evidence. I voluntarily give it to you, and I do so because it's convincing. <laughs> I'm confident that when you consider this, you're gonna go, wow, true. I was unbelieving, but now, 
I believe. I've seen it. Touched it. It's true. So we go to Ted's, to people who want evidence. Jesus gladly gives it. Voluntarily, convincingly. But then he surprises Thomas, I think, and the rest of us by saying, because you've seen me, have you believed? And what's the answer to that? Yeah, because before, no. Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Have you ever asked yourself, what's, what's blessed about believing without seeing? I'd like to believe and see. What's blessed about believing without seeing? I think the answer is twofold. First, it's a practical one. A little calendar for you. Between the time the Gospels record that Jesus was raised from the dead and the time that Jesus then ascended with eyewitnesses into the heavens is a period of 40 days. We're how many days into that 40-day period from what we just read? We're eight days in. And so you understand there's only 32 days left of seeing. And we are, what, some 2,000 years into no longer being able to see. So just very practically speaking, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who believe without seeing because within a month, that's the only way to believe without seeing. Blessed are those who are going to believe without seeing because next month I won't be here to see. So then how is it that across the globe there are millions of people in our current day who believe and have never seen Is it blind faith? Is it a baseless faith? No. I think what Jesus is declaring is not only is the seeing and believing going to soon pass, to believe without seeing is to testify to the fact that the evidence for the resurrection is sufficient to make seeing unnecessary. See, it's not that just believe without the evidence. It's the evidence is so overwhelming, legal term, incontrovertible, incontrovertible, incontrovertible. Believe, not because just believe, but believe because. Because there's still evidence for Ted's. So much so 
that you don't need to see. Which led me then to really ask this question. Is it possible for evidence to be such that you can go, I believe it. I didn't see it, but I believe it. The evidence is there. And I want to take it just for illustration purposes, we'll keep coming back to the, to the resurrection, but I want to take it out of something so foreign to us and put it into something that's much more known to most of us, but equally unbelievable. So what is something known to us that would occur that we would go, oh, that is unbelievable. And here it is. <laughs> unbelievable. That's like resurrection stuff, right? Okay, if you're like, I don't know who the Jaguars. That's a professional football team in this city who are 1-15 in 15 this past year, so bad that they get the first draft pick in this upcoming draft. Like really, really, really bad for a really, really long time. And I can tell by your response that you're like, yeah, that'd be pretty unbelievable that they won the Super Bowl in 2022. But here's the problem. You didn't see it. You missed it. Because you were out this afternoon looking for an Easter egg, tripped, hit your head on a rock. And you were in a coma for 20 years. Now you're like, uh, that's a little weird. It's got a happy ending, so don't, don't get distracted by that. <laughs> but you're out of it for 20 years. After 20 years, you wake up and you're like, what happened? You hit your head in a rock. Seriously? How long have I been out? 20 years? What happened? Well, I was out. Jags won the Super Bowl. No. Because the last you knew, they were horrible. The laughing stock of the league. No way. I missed it. Are you sure? What's the first thing you would do? You go, show me the video. And they're going, you've been, a, you've been out for 20 years. We don't have video. I'd be like, show me the VHS. Where's the 8-track? <laughs> right? We don't have video. Everybody just sees it now. <laughs> or whatever will be true 20 years from now. You just think it and it pops up. We don't have video. Come on. Get with it. So if there's no video, what do you do? Did you see it? You saw it. <laughs> yeah, you go to your family. Did you see it? Were you, were you watching? Yeah, man, we had great wings and couldn't believe it. Who'd we beat? The Bucks. Tom Brady and the Bucks? Yes, killed him. 44-14. <laughs> yes! Did you see it? You interview, you go, the first thing you do is I ask eyewitnesses, right? I go, my family. Did they? Yes. Did they? Yes. Come on, really? Yes. Are you yanking my chain? So you ask your friends. Sure enough, 
Jordan? Yep, couldn't believe it. They, ask 11 of your friends, yes. We saw it, we watched it. We were screaming like mad, jumping up and down. Ah, bunch of homers in Jacksonville. So you drive 90 miles down to Daytona and you go into a bar in Daytona and say, all right, I've been a little out of it, but I know we've walked on the moon and I've heard the Jags won the Super Bowl. Is that really true? Yep, sure enough. Nobody saw it coming. Sure enough. Beat the Bucks, 44-14. Go over to Gainesville. Gators, yep. Jags won it. Drive up to Brunswick, Georgia. And everywhere you go, from 90 miles around, there are hundreds of eyewitnesses that go, we saw it. Now, that's the case for the resurrection of Jesus. This is why did you follow the leap there? If you talk to hundreds of people from 90 miles around you and they all said the same thing, yep, they won, yep, they won, yep, they won. Would that not be pretty convincing? Could you believe them? That's what you have for the resurrection. Yeah, the eyewitness testimony. And it's overwhelming. 500 people scattered over 90 miles, spanning a 40-day period of time. See, we can run through those numbers and think, oh, yeah, 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 I know that, know that, no, I heard that. But if you ask that many people about an event in our current day and they all agree, you go, that's pretty convincing. Hundreds spread out over a period of time. All got what Thomas got. Evidence. Overwhelming evidence. I saw him. Now in fairness, you did run into a few people that you were interviewing that the Jags really win and some actually claim that they stole the game. Something about they had overinflated the football and, and Brady couldn't throw an overinflated football. And so they had this inflate gate and they, they said they stole the game, but they investigated it. And sure enough, it wasn't true. The Jags really won the game. Yeah, there were some who said, oh, the body was stolen. But the overwhelming evidence was, no, we saw him. And not just a dead body. We saw him alive. So in your research for the uh, Jags winning of the Super Bowl, you do start looking at, well, what's happened in the last 20 years? And to your amazement, you discover that Urban Meyer has been coach of the year for 19 years. 11 Jags named to the Pro Bowl each year the past 19 years. Jag have, they've won the last 19 Super Bowls. And Trevor Lawrence, here's a little bit of faith for us. Trevor Lawrence 
is the undisputable GOAT, the greatest of all time, and Tom Brady is just a wannabe. (laughs) See, some of you guys are, this is better than Easter. (laughs) No, would that be like, would you go, seriously? We not only just won that game, but we've won every, that's unprecedented. Everyone in the last 20 years? Coach of the year? Seriously? Yeah, it's documented. That's fairly convincing. And so is the transformation, the radical transformation of the eyewitnesses. In what way? (laughs) These fearful runners become bold proclaimers of the gospels. You know what I mean? When some of you just writing that down. You understand what I'm saying? Those who had followed Jesus when he was arrested, they ran scared. And then after the resurrection, the guy who had denied that he was a follower of Jesus to a girl in a private conversation stands up in the center of the city and declares that Jesus is raised from the dead. And he does it publicly and continues to do it publicly. And they throw him in jail. And he gets out and boldly keeps on proclaiming. There's this radical transformation of a man prior to the resurrection and then after the resurrection. And that team, those apostles, not only bold proclaimers, according to church history, all but John, who died of old age, all but John, died for their faith, suffered, persecuted, some in some really awful, awful ways, for one reason, what? They had had seen the resurrected Jesus. They had seen. They were absolutely convinced. And there was a radical transformation. And it wasn't just in our Jags example that the team was radically change, uh, there's this radical transformation of the fan base that you discover. In fact, the Jags are sold out for the next 20 years. You can't even get a ticket. And the merchandise, number one in the world. And primetime games, you know, the last Monday Night Football, like 2010, they have all sorts of primetime games on the schedule. Proof of what? They're great. Now again, if you're like, is this a sermon about the Jags future? No. It's simply an illustration to demonstrate to you that if something happened and you didn't see it, but there was overwhelming eyewitness testimony 
to it. And there was a radical transformation that happened ever since that moment. And it wasn't just among a few. It was among thousands and thousands. And it wasn't just a small part of the world. It went the whole way around the globe. The evidence would be what? Overwhelming. Do we have a base for our faith? (laughs) Super solid. Super strong. We have no reason to think we are blind in our faith. We have no reason to think that we just have to believe. We can be confident as Ted's. There is evidence abundant. What was the radical transformation of the fan base to the resurrection of Jesus? Well, when the fearful runners become bold proclaimers, there's this whole wave of those who believe the testimony of the eyewitnesses. There's this radical move across the world that starts in Jerusalem and it starts like a wave. 3,000 new converts, first time. Peter declares, he has risen. 3,000 believe. Had they seen? Don't miss this. Had they seen? No. They had heard the testimony of the one who had seen and they believed. And he declares it again in Acts chapter 5 and 5,000 more believe. Because they had seen? No. Because they believed the one who had seen. You see, there is this Fulfilling of what Jesus say, you believe, you've seen and believe. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And thousands do that exactly. And then there's this extreme generosity that captures this new quote unquote fan base. This new generosity of of it recorded, where people have like property that's theirs and they sell it, not to get something else for themselves, but they have property that they sell so that they can give the proceeds of what they don't need to those who have need. And there's this whole new mindset among this quote unquote fan base that stuff is not mine. My life is not mine. I belong to the one who I believe because the eyewitness testimony declares he died, was buried, and he rose again. And I am basing my entire life on that strong evidence that he owns me and he owns my stuff and he owns my minutes. And so I live my life for him and for the love of the fan base. It's a radical transformation that happens in Jerusalem and over the centuries begins to circle the earth. Why? Because some people 
who wouldn't believe unless they saw, saw and declared to those who no longer could see, we saw it. It's true. No more jag stuff, just Jesus. There's the miracles Jesus well, prior to the resurrection that speaks to the authenticity, the evidence that this was not like, whoa, he never did anything like that before. What do you mean he raised from that? He was just a normal guy. Is that true? No, for, for three years, Jesus had been at the center of all sorts of supernatural works. And so for the diligent, open-minded learner and investigator, they're not surprised when they see that Jesus has been raised from the dead. The supernatural has always accompanied his life. In fact, they're gone. He was the one who calls the, the blind man to see and the, the deaf man to hear and the lame man to walk and the leper to be clean. And other people who are dead to be raised. You understand my point? See, it wasn't this, where'd that come from? This is the, the predictable Evidence shows it's the predictable next step that Jesus said this would happen, and it happened. In order to forgive sin, you think that's easy to say. So I'll say to the paralytic, stand up and walk. And the paralytic stood up and walked and go, whoo. That's pretty supernatural. Why did he, say, why did he have the paralytic walk? He says, so that you would know by what you see that I can do what you can't see. Forgive sin. See, the, the miracles of Jesus were the, the groundwork for then what would be the resurrection of Jesus, which would change the world. We see this when he raises Lazarus. You know, the guy who was dead four days and they're like, don't bring him out. He's going to stink. And they brought him out and he was still wrapped in his burial clothes. And Jesus was like, he's, a, he's alive, unwrap him. And they, they unwrap him. And watch the impact of this miracle. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. Jesus was there. And they came. But watch. Not for Jesus' sake only. But that they might see, also see, see, because everybody's dead. I, I want to see some evidence. They want to see not just Jesus, but Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. What? There he is. That's the guy. He was in the tomb four days alive. Watch the conclusion. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also. We got to kill that dude again. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> on the account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. See, the miracles of Jesus are not disconnected from the resurrection of Jesus. The miracles of Jesus were leading up to 
the historical fact, witnessed by hundreds, evidenced by the radical transformation of thousands. He is who he said he is. And miracles are powerful. I mean, poor Lazarus. We gotta kill that guy. He is a, like the poster child for Jesus right now. I gotta get rid of him. It's the power of the miracle. Do they still take place? Yeah. Scripture says, many other signs Jesus also performed. This is in our passage where we are in John 20. Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is who he declared. He is the Son of God. And that believing, you'd find life in him. See, every single one of us has to come to that place where we go, do I think life is found in Jesus? Or is it found in living for me? Or is it found in living for my career? Or gaining a bunch of stuff? The miracles of Jesus, setting up the resurrection of Jesus are the proof that life is found in him. This is why he could declare, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. We're fools if he had raised. <laughs> we have life if he has. Where's the evidence fall? Overwhelmingly that life is in his name. And if it all seems ancient to you, I want you to know that miracles continue to occur. Not fabricated stuff Hey, do some people fabricate miracles in our day? Yeah, sure they do. Why? Because they understand miracles can be convincing. So are they fabricated? No, they're what Jesus said would be true. The night he's betrayed, arrested, he said, he who believes in me the works that I do, miraculous, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. But if you'll believe in me, Jesus said, you believe in me and I will do in you and I will do through you what I did when I was wrapped in human flesh. Miracles continue to take place. Now you may be not doubters, Ted's. 
you might want, uh, let me have some evidence. So we heard a story last week, but maybe you weren't here last week. So here's another story for Ted's. My name is Rebecca Salzman. Long before we moved here, I was diagnosed with two disorders that both cause chronic pain, primarily in my joints. It really took its toll on my body and was difficult emotionally because I was in pain 24-7. I did my best to adapt and I feel like overall I had a pretty good life, but I longed to be normal and it was really easy to be discouraged and angry that my life revolved so much around chronic pain. I knew that God was capable of anything and that he could heal me, but I found it hard to ask him for healing. I was so used to my life with pain that doing anything different just seemed too risky and too scary, as weird as that sounds. I also thought, what if I ask God for healing and he says no, what am I supposed to do with that? But then my family group and my husband Ben told me that they were praying for healing for me and that really convicted me. I thought, these people are more willing to pray for me than I'm willing to pray for myself, and that's not okay. So I started making some timid steps forward, asking God for healing every now and then, and the answer was always no, but through that, I learned that that was okay, that all I needed to do was keep asking God and let him work out the rest and trust him in his timing. I was sitting right here in the sound booth in North Auditorium. Doug was preaching and he asked people to stand if they wanted to pray for healing or relief from their trials. I didn't stand, but I did pray. And I just asked God, if you want to, if you could please heal me from my chronic pain, I know that you can. And I'm just asking that you would, and I will try my best to accept the answer no matter what. And at first nothing happened and I thought the answer was no again and I thought okay that's okay and just tried my best to be all right with it but then I started feeling this tingling sensation in my joints and almost instantly my pain vanished and I was in a good amount of pain when I walked in the room that morning so the difference was pretty big I remember looking up from my prayer and thinking did that really just happen am I completely pain-free I'm so thankful that God chose to heal me I don't know why he chose to heal me that day but I'm really Really thankful that he did and I want to praise him for the miracle that he has worked in my life. <laughs>